Welcome. Today we are talking to Dr. Jamee Fisher. Dr. Jamee worked in PR on Capitol Hill for years after finishing college and then went on to have a career in education. So while she loved her career, she did ultimately experience what so many of us do, burnout. Now she's coaching other women to share her own methodology in healing from burnout and experiencing true wellness. Good morning, Jamee. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today with me. Thank you so much. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here, Carrie. Great. So I'm going to jump right into this interview because I have been waiting to interview you based on your vast experience. I'm a bit fascinated. Can you start by telling our listeners just a little bit of your backstory and kind of what led you into opening your own public relations agency today? Sure. Happy to. Well, I kind of came to it. It kind of found me sort of, but as I reflect back on my story, I'm like, it was just inevitable. So basically I'm a PhD, a publicist and a master coach, and I own my agency. I'm the founder of the agency Leading Lavishly. And our mission is to help our clients attract their own clients and grow their revenues. So this work really is about stories itself. So the, that goes way back to when I was uh, a teenager, probably I perhaps, but you know, little kids always like stories too. But I realized that I liked politics when I was a teenager because I grew up in a house, we always had books in our house and we always had stories, but there were always political stories because my mom was an activist in her community for human rights when she was a teenager. So um, she always had books about activism and community service and being active in the political process. So of course I love social studies because social studies is nothing but a bunch of stories about people who do things. So <laughs> it is. So um, I started going to political rallies. This is in the 90s when Bill Clinton was running for president. And I would love rallies. I would love the stories. I would love the energy there. So I majored in political science. And long story short, I was at college. I was finishing up my undergraduate degree. And I saw an advertisement to work on Capitol Hill. I was like, well, why not? I'm in political science. I love politics. I would love to work for politicians. So I interviewed and I was offered the position and immediately I started working in press. But it wasn't until I got older that I realized that press is nothing but a bunch of stories. So, and I'm like, well, I've always loved political stories. And now as a publicist, make a long story short, because <laughs> I could go on and on. Um, as a publicist, what I do for my clients is I help them harness their stories so they can use that to drive their revenue and attract people to them because humans love stories. We all mm -hmm. love a good story. So I help them do that and I help them get their word out. So that's basically how I came to the profession and how I came to this work. Um, I think, you know, we can always tell stories, but I wanted to tell stories that actually inspire people to buy something because back when I was a kid, I grew up in a lot of insecurity. We had housing insecurity. I was a homeless child several times and, 
And, but I always have books. So I'm like, well, I always believe that if we tell a good story, we're actually helping people and inspiring them. So that's why I think our work stories and hence sometimes the burnout, you know, but, you know, sometimes we have to really just focus on why we're doing that work. So that's how I, how I came to this work. Very interesting. I didn't realize your mother was an activist also and, and kept those stories. Um, and it's funny, I didn't, I also didn't know that you were um, active during the Clinton administration. So we may have run into each other in circles before because I was at his inauguration when I was in college um, because a friend of mine um, at George Washington at the time, her father was a Senator and had gotten us tickets. So we were probably in the same place at the same time and just never knew. It's, it's funny how paths cross, right? That's right, yes. So I'm really interested in this work on Capitol Hill. Can you maybe tell us, I know the listeners are going, going to want to know more about that. Can you maybe tell us what you did, um, who you worked with and what that was like in that environment? Okay, so I am a story junkie for lack of better words. And I always love political and historical, you know, social study stories. So when I interviewed for the position, I, I, interviewed for a position with a politician who I necessarily didn't agree with their politics, but I was compelled by their story. And yeah. I believe that the really good politicians are trying to help people. Mm -hmm. So I kept that focus and I worked for the um, senator. So I worked for a senator who is passed away now. He's not with us anymore. And I'm so glad I worked with someone who, did, who didn't necessarily hold the same political views that I did, but our mission was the same, which was to help people. So I worked in the press office and I was just basically getting out of college at that point. And it was so exciting working in the press. It was always something going on, always following the press stories. We did like... Um, press events. And I was the person who also took families and constituents on the tour of the Capitol. So oh, I love, yes, I love telling the stories of our history and the stories of the Capitol. And it's not scripted. So you have to learn the stories by heart because yeah. you want the client, not the clients, but you want the constituents to have a feeling and feel connected to you and the Capitol as part of their story too. So I worked at the Capitol at that time in a Senator's office. So it was a lot, it was one of the best experiences I ever had. I went to school at Minnesota. I went to the University of Minnesota. And when it was time for me to go back to Minnesota, I was like, I don't wanna leave because it was just a yeah. temporary position at the time. But I ended up back working for another member of Congress from a different political party. And when I worked for this member of Congress, I worked in their state office in St. Paul, Minnesota, in their um, local office. He was a U.S. representative. He's not with us anymore. But I worked in his office in the state office. And it was still so gratifying. I still got to work, you know, collecting the stories from the press. We called them clippings back then. <laughs> So that is just, it was such a joy and it was so good to work with people from different political parties because when you're working with somebody who really want to help people, their mission is to help people, so. And I really like that you said you were able and open to working with people on, 
on political spectrums and, and who had different philosophies than you did, um, you know, we can all learn from that today that you can, you see the mission and the story behind it and not just a title um, on their, their party label, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's really getting to know people and getting to know their stories. And I got to know how those two members of Congress, the Senator and the representative, how they came to their work. And that was really, um, you know, it was inspiring. It still is. It is exciting. Just being in that city, I think too, is exciting. Um, knowing yes. all of that's happening around us and you were right inside. So even better. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you went on to working for a school district. So could you tell us about the evolution of your career into working with teachers? Yeah, it's really interesting because what happened when I was working for the member, the congressman in the local state um, office, he came to politics because he was a science teacher in Minnesota. And then he ran for Congress and he um, he won and he held that seat for most of, well, not most, but a big portion of his adult life until he passed away from cancer at an earlier age. Mm. And I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't know for what. So he inspired me to consider education. And that's how I ended up being a teacher. But because of my background in community, it's called in in government well politics is called like press um but in school districts it's called community relations basically so i ended up working in community relations and i was a teacher leader helping cabinet members with their communication and their community relations and connecting communities together so that's how i went on to become a teacher but not long after teaching, which I loved working with families and community members, I immediately was asked, can you come work at like headquarters and help leadership with their uh, community relations? So, which is a good segue into a transition of doing something else based on burnout. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about burnout. It's a a common theme that comes up in these interviews from women I'm hearing from. It's also part of my own story. Um, The term burnout is something we're all familiar with, but I don't think that we necessarily recognize what that is when it's happening to you. That's exactly right. Yeah. So could, can we first maybe talk about, before we get to your own story of burnout, um, some symptoms of what you would de- describe burnout to be. So a woman who, who is maybe feeling a certain way might recognize this in herself. Um, disengagement with work. Like usually it's a, so what I've read is really a form of depression. So in, as it's related to your professional life, So, but how you do one thing is how you do everything. I love that. I say that all the time. I love that you just said that. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. So no problem. So that is, if you're feeling it in your professional life, you need to address it there because it's impacting everything else in your life. So it's like no emotional connection to it. You're feeling scared to go to work or really high anxiety, even when you just think about work at home. So those are some of the things, or like, you don't, again, you don't care. Like you don't feel like you're really caring about the purpose of what you're doing in that organization. So those are some signs. It's more emotional 
and psychological signs that come out, you still may be getting great marks at your professional life, but it's like, to what end? Because <laughs> you're scared to go to work. So Yeah, and I like that you phrased it that way too, that you're scared to, to go to work because that's what it feels like. It feels like this big bubble of fear that you're stuck in and it just manifests itself in different ways, one of which can be an anxiety attack. Yes. Yeah. And I know that you're familiar with that. I certainly am familiar with, um, with panic attacks and I had no idea what they were when they were happening to me. It can be terrifying. So can you tell us about your own story with burnout, including um, anxiety attacks and what that felt like for you? Sure. Working in politics, I was used to watching other people experience burnout, but I didn't know what it was at the time. So, but it was everywhere. It's rampant. Those are really high public profile um, positions where they're working with the public a lot. And so I came to understanding burnout in other people. Mm-hmm. So I noticed it there. And then I noticed it, of course, with teachers. Teachers, you know, a lot of people already know that teachers have like a lot of burnout and thus, you know, it creates a system-wide effect because you have teacher, like teachers leaving the profession altogether. Mm-hmm. Or you have teachers moving from school to school because they don't know what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't know that they're experiencing burnout. So they think that if they move to a different school, that these feelings will go away. But again, like we say, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Until you address the burnout, is in, I noticed it in cabinet working in leadership for in an education district. It was, it's, but it wasn't until I noticed it in myself, which we can go into details later if we have time, but it wasn't, I was used to keeping it outside of myself. Oh, that's not me. Oh, I don't have those problems. Oh my God, they better get help. But yeah. it wasn't until you experienced it and when I experienced burnout is what really made the difference for me and said, okay, something has to be done about this, so. Yeah. And I think that that's probably why many of us shift and it feels rather abrupt, right? You know, you just one day have this, you hit this wall and say, all right, I have to do something. And and no matter what that looks like, we've all typically let it go a little bit too long or too far before we make that change. When Um, you were, when people are working in the public sphere, especially, I think that's the type of professionals I'm used to working with, like politicians and teachers, people who interact with the general public, um, it's really, it's really like, what was I going to say? I can't remember where I was going with this, but it's, you're dealing with a lot of different people all the time. So I think that we sometimes don't think that we're susceptible to burnout and we don't realize it because you're, you're in the front, you're front facing the public. You never know what's going to happen because humans are diverse and you just never know what they're going to do. So Yeah. And I actually had a question for you about that because in your coaching and in the experience that you've had with the people that you worked with, I would think that, and this is just my own assumption, that you're dealing with a specific personality type, people who are okay with being out in front of the public. They have to be somewhat extroverted, um, fearless in their own right. I can't imagine holding that type of position because I do have a lot of introverted qualities. Um, But do you think burnout looks different for people who are very much in the public sphere as opposed to someone who's more introverted, I guess, in nature? Well, the how much goes, the how much I've heard anyway, that introverts make the best people in the public eye. 
So <laughs> usually people who are highly in a public eye tend to be um, introverted people. They wouldn't explain, they wouldn't describe themselves as extroverts. Okay. And because uh, I lean introversion too, and we have to put on this persona when we're in the public eye. And that's where what's so unique about my agency is that I help people with their public image, but I watch them if they're starting to experience burnout and I can coach them around that. So, because we can just go, 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 cause we're just used to being in a public eye. And then all of a sudden we have an anxiety attack. It's like, okay, well, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. So, but people, you know, in the public eye is really a stressful position to be in. Yeah. And you, you kind of brought up a, a good, um, I guess, example that I'm seeing across the board talking to women, you know, we, we make these career shifts, we all bring something else where you're bringing in your experience with the press to now coaching people to do this. If you don't have that experience, then you're not going to be able to help them to avoid burnout to recognize the signs of it. So um, I often think when, when women are thinking about making a, a major change in their life, they're afraid to do it because of fear of failure. But I have a degree in this, but I spent all this time and this money doing this. How can I change and just throw that away is what the term is, right? But really you're bringing it with you and you're adding to what you're doing now in such a way that it gives you um, kind of a one-up on everybody else because you have this unique um, gift and experience, right? And I can certainly relate to that with my teaching experience and writing experience, which I, you know, I felt like I was throwing something away by making a major change to business. But then look at what I'm doing now is telling stories. So you can relate to that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's not until I came to terms I experienced burnout working with other people's stories and working with them to help them create a certain public image in the public eye. But when you start your own business, your story is more important mm -hmm. than you ever could imagine. And I did not want to tell my story. And I think that that's what made my business stall because I have a similar experience from you. But until we realize that we harness those stories to drive results and drive profits and connect with clients in those stories, <laughs> um, until we do that, we, we feel stagnant and we maybe we'll burn out because yeah. we're not allowing ourselves to be fully um, expressed in that work. So. Yeah, you have to open up and, and share it. I, it took me a long time too. And then we're often uh, surprised by the results of that and the reception that we get. It's actually, it's a wonderful connection to the people that you're working with because they can relate to you so much better that way. It's not, I always saw things as like a, a weakness or not wanting to share certain sides of myself, um, things that I deemed as weak, right? Somebody else is going to see as connection always thought that no one cared yeah I'm like oh no one cares that like I was experienced homelessness as a child and you know different things like that no one cares like no one cares that I went to rallies when I was in high school political yeah, rallies they do, they I do. skipped school to go to political rallies so I was supposed to be in class and I did class to go to a rally yeah so and then I was like wait a minute the reason, and, and I suppressed all of that and I suppressed my stories and therefore I suppressed emotions, but 
you can't suppress that for too long because it'll come out. It'll show in anxiety attacks. It'll show in burnout. Mm -hmm. And anxiety attacks can be frightening. Can we talk about that just for a moment before I get to a little more of your coaching work? Um, how would you describe anxiety attacks? Actually, when I didn't know what I was experiencing and I have, it happened to me in the middle of the night and I didn't know what it was, but I had to tell myself a different narrative while I was experiencing the attack that I'm going to be okay. And then I was okay. But then I called the doctor the next day and she was like, you had an anxiety attack. I'm like, what, what is that? Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the heck? Not me. <laughs> so when I looked it up online, um, I'm not, I went to Dr. Google. I'm a PhD. I'm not an MD. So <laughs> I went to Dr. <laughs> Google and Dr. Google said that, you know, these can manifest in all kinds of different ways for everybody. So for me, it felt like I was paralyzed and I couldn't move. For some people, it, it, I mean, I've had, it could be shaking. It could be like a really heightened sense of, um, what is it called? Fight or flight, like yes. around yes. something that's not existing right now. Mm -hmm. Like it's our, like, um, it's our mind in doing its job really but it's confused, I guess, is the way to explain it. I'm not a psych doctor, so I don't really know what. I think that's a great way like. to describe it. That it, but it I think is that your mind goes into fight or flight, and nothing is around you that's going to attack you. Mm -hmm. So it's really a fascinating thing. It's really it is serious. fascinating, and it can actually um, really work on you physically when it's all you know emotionally driven and mentally driven. Driven it really can affect you. And I think a lot of people, including myself, have made ER runs thinking they're having a heart attack. Um, it, you know, it can be that strong, but I like that you also said that it can feel like you're frozen and paralyzed. Um, and I think it's important for women to hear all of these different manifestations so that they can recognize what it is and not be afraid so much of it, right? And I think sometimes it's uncontrollable crying too. And women are, excuse my language, but often women are stereotyped to be overly emotional. So instead of us taking up this as something we need to address, we just say, oh, well, you know, I just need to stop being emotional. But no, you have some health things going on yeah. that need to be taken care of. So it's really important that, especially as women or people who identify as women, that we need to realize that if our emotions seem like they're feeling like they're out of control like crying too much then we probably should talk to somebody yep great advice so let's talk about your coaching so now you're working with people who are in the public and you are helping them to address signs of burnout so if if a woman were to come to you and i'm because most a lot of my audience involves um women and, and this is women's stories i'm just going to say women um if a woman comes to you and wants to get some coaching, what would that look like in the beginning? Would it begin with a discovery call to find out what the story is? Um, how would you start working with someone? How I start working with someone is to listen to where they are. So to really listen, like not just hear it, but to really listen to the narratives that's in the stories of where they are. So when people come to the consultation call, I give them a consultation, which is basically an action plan or a needs assessment, but it always begins with where they are and the stories around that. Then I discover what it is, you know, their hopes and dreams for themselves. And then I bridge the gap. 
I say, okay, well, this is what you need to do to bridge that gap. And then I help them make an action plan around that. But I also listen to the, the emotions in those stories too, because stories are thoughts and emotions put together. So you have to listen for both. And then I help them bridge the gap to, and then help them remember the desire of why they're doing this. It's like, okay, we can do like a lot of people that I don't know, sometimes people call them type A people or leaders, mm -hmm. like they just want action, this, 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 like action mode. Don't get me wrong, I'm an action girl too. Like I love me some action. <laughs> but if I don't remember why I'm doing this action, it's going to fizzle away and I'm gonna become disengaged with it really quickly. So during the consultation call, I help my clients remember why they do, they're doing this work in the first place, because in any passion that we have, there'll be ups and downs. And so, and it's just part of life. Life is about the contrast, but if we harness and hone into that why, we will reach our goals. So I help them realize that in the consultation call. Yeah. And that's true in other areas of life as well, remembering that why and, and really across all careers, right? And mm -hmm. it's funny too, I'm sure we've both, um, as doing any kind of administrative work in education, um, we're familiar with doing a needs assessment. So I like that you actually bring that approach to your coaching as well. It is, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So how about advice for a woman who is feeling just not quite right? Um, maybe she's terming it burnout. Maybe she just says, I'm not really feeling that great. I feel like I'm losing my connection with my own career. I'm losing my passion. Just starting to, to show those signs of burnout. What would you suggest that she do as a first step? I will say a first step is to, it depends on if you're, I'm an action girl. So I like to always start with actions. So I would just say that I would um, make sure I take time away from the, I deal with burnout in the professional life. So take time away from your profession. Like that could be like a, a digital detox or just time away from like the internet for a while and just having like a really elegant time like with your family members or just watching a really good film. I'm in the film. So whatever it is that lights your fire. Yeah. So just taking time to do that. It could be exercise. I it used could. to do, I still kind of do acrobatic exercises. So, you know, go to the gym and like do some acrobatic things. Have fun. So. I only do acrobatic exercises accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you do that. How fun. So it's so if you're an action person, start with your actions, but you still have to cultivate those thoughts and emotions at some point that's driving those professional stories. So, but we only have one brain. We only can think to the capacity of our own brain. So maybe you need to have a mentor or maybe you need to have, if you feel like you need a therapist, you know, hire a therapist. Sometimes you just need a coach, like a life coach or somebody too. So I would say definitely do those things to start. Yeah, I think it's nice to have the option these days of having a coach um, because there still is a stigma surrounding therapy for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can be a generational thing as well. And they just can't let go of that. And hearing the word coach kind of gives it so much more of a positive spin where it's like, oh, I'm going to be coached to move forward instead of reaching deep inside of myself, even though you're doing that anyway, right? So right. it's nice to have that option. All right. The last question before I ask where we can find you online is any books that you would recommend? And I'll say books or podcasts that okay. you would recommend to someone. 
So my husband, my partner has gotten me into really thinking about fashion since we've been together. So recently I, I read The Chiffron Trenches by Andre Leon Talley. Okay. So that was great. It's about his experience, you know, coming up in the South in, you know, getting into the fashion industry. And another one is Wild from Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail. Yes, yes, yes. that's one of my favorites too. I know, I saw the movie first and then I read the book and I'm like, oh, this book is so much better than the movie. So those are two of my favorite books if I had to pick two all-time books. So I'm listening to a, um, a book on Audible right now while I go for my walks, I've decided to listen to podcasts and books on Audible and it's called North. So if you liked Wild, you'll like North as well. It just takes place on the Appalachian Trail and it's told from the point of view of an ultra runner and his wife kind of working together to break a record, but it's, it's excellent. I'll have to check that out too. I love those kind of stories. Yeah. Okay. So where can we find you online? Your website is beautiful, by the way. It really fits the theme of being lavish and elegant. I love that. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram using my name, Jamay Fisher. That's J-A-M-A-Y Fisher with no C. And that's on Instagram. And then my website is leadinglavishly.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-L-A-V-I-S-H-L-Y.com. Perfect. So I'll include your information in the show notes, both on YouTube and in the podcast notes, so people can get in touch with you. Um, If anything, I have a feeling someone will just go over and want to read more about your story on your website. (laughs) It's pretty fascinating. Well, thank you, Jamee, for being with me today. It was just really nice to, to get to know you and to talk about your story. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.